The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. Judges chapter 6, we're going to finish up the chapter today. There's a lot here. Last week, we didn't spend much time looking at Gideon, but rather the sermon, the message that God sent to the people of God before He sent a judge. And we see in verse number 11 that God is preparing the judge. And the rest of the chapter really comprises of three parts if you want to kind of break it down for yourself and study. There's a conversation between Gideon and the angel of the Lord. There's the building and the destruction of two altars. And there's a conversation at the end between Gideon and God and those two fleeces that we see uh, there. But as we look at today's message, uh, we're going to talk about really this uh, passage where uh, God identifies Gideon as the next judge. And I want you to look at verse number 12. The angel of the Lord appears unto him and says unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response to that in verse number 13 is something that we would consider to be probably a natural response, maybe a response if we were in his shoes, that we would say. He said, Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all of this, is all this befallen us? Have you ever questioned God? God, if you're with me, why is this happening to me? God, if you're with me, why is this happening around me? God, if you're with me, why is this happening to me? And that's a question that a lot of believers find themselves in different circumstances and situations asking themselves. If you've never asked that in life, uh, I know that there will be some things that come before us that we, uh, we see and understand that will be difficult for us. But as we consider these questions for God, I think there are times in all of our lives where we've gone through something where we had a question for God. We had a difficulty. And the first uh, question that's asked here and the first point that we're going to look at uh, here today is uh, here, uh, this next one, I don't know if guys you're following along there, I'm trying to change this here, we got it, all right, here we go, if God be with us, why, if God be with us, why, and so in this first conversation, it concerns two different understandings of Israel's problem and Gideon's ability, so in response to the angel's opening assurance, what does God say in verse number 12, he says, the Lord is what, with you, God is with you. How many to be reminded of that today? God is with you. And so God reminds him that, but Gideon in his answer and even in his question suggests that God isn't with him. His argument is God clearly isn't with us because he has put us into Midian's hands instead of rescuing us like he did his ancestors. Look what he says. He says in verse 13, if the Lord be with us, then why has all this befallen us and where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered uh, us unto the hands of the Midians. We talked about last week how there was no national revival as a result of the message that was preached, but we kind of get an idea of what was going on in the hearts of the people of God. They heard the message. What was the message? God delivered you from Egypt. God brought you into the promised land. God told you not to turn to other gods and false gods. He told you to drive out the people that were before you, and you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. And notice their response is this. If God's with us, then why has he put us into Midian's hands? If God's with us, then why hasn't he done the miracles among us 
that he did among our ancestors. Why isn't he doing for us what he did for Israel when they were in Egypt? Egypt was, uh, the Egyptians oppressed the Jews. They were made slaves to them. In many ways, the Midianites had brought the Jews in the beginning of chapter 6, we see, into more poverty than what they had ever faced before. They're homeless. They're living in caves. They're living in shelters and shanties. And they're being driven out. Uh, The Midianites came in like locusts and they just devoured things. They had no interest in taking anything for themselves. All they wanted to do was completely decimate Israel. And in doing so, they were brought to poverty and their circumstances uh, were terrible. But we kind of see what's going on in the hearts and minds of these Israelites. They're saying, if God's with us, why has this happened to us? Why don't we see these miracles? And of course, we have some more insight as readers. We know that God put them into the hands of Midian because he had not abandoned them and he was working through their circumstances to show them the poverty of idolatry and disobedience. He wanted them to cry out in repentance and for rescue and God's point has already been made in verses 9 and 10 through the prophet. He says, I've not abandoned you, you have abandoned me, right? That's what he told them in the message that he sent. And now in Gideon's implicit suggestion here in his response, he's saying this, God, we need an Egypt-style rescuer. We need another Moses, God. We need somebody like Moses that's going to come in and do what Moses did for us. And what does God say? Well, God says to Gideon, you are the salvation that I'm sending. You are my mighty warrior, verse 12. You are the Moses for this generation, for my people. But Gideon couldn't see it. Gideon was looking for someone else, and God was looking for Gideon. Gideon was looking for another deliverer, another rescuer. He couldn't believe that God would choose him and use him, or why God would use him, and God was already preparing him. And let let me just say this before we go too quickly to judge Gideon. How easy is it for us to make the same mistakes that Gideon made? First, I believe this, we tend to see our troubles as evidence that God has left us instead of asking how God is working in and through them for our good as he promises. We tend to see our troubles as evidence that God has left us. How many have ever felt that way? I'm going through something difficult, I'm going through some trouble, so therefore God has abandoned me. God is not with me, or somehow God has left me I've done something that has caused God to be upset with me to the point to where he's left me, or I don't know what God's doing. (laughs) Is he around? Does he hear my prayers? I mean, what in the world is going on in my life? And we tend to uh, see our troubles as evidence that God has left us instead, biblically, of how we're supposed to look at our troubles, asking how God is working in and through them for our good as he promises. Do you believe that God keeps all of his promises? So what should we ask when we're faced with difficulty? We should ask God, not have you abandoned me, but God, what are you trying to do in me through these troubles? Are you trying to bring me to repentance because of sin that's in my life? Are you trying to work in me patience and experience and hope and increase my faith? And sanctify me as a believer because we know who the Lord justifies, he sanctifies and will eventually glorify. And that is the good that God is working together for, Romans 8, 28. In our lives, he will sanctify us. But secondly, I believe also one of the mistakes that we make is we are often waiting for God to do something to us 
or for us. We are often waiting for God to do something to us or for us and wondering why He doesn't use someone to bring help. We essentially are saying, Lord, why don't you remove my problems? God, why don't you take my problems out of my life? And staying, instead of saying, Lord, please make me the person who can handle this problem. We're not saying, God, uh, uh, make me the person that can handle this problem. We're saying, God, get me out of my problems. But that's the prayer that we should pray, isn't it? God, make me the type of person that can handle this problem. God, you already can do that. I mean, Gideon was saying, God, send a deliverer that can get me out of my problems. And God was saying, no, I'm making you to be the deliverer that will bring Israel out of their problems. And that should be our prayer. God, make me the kind of person that can handle this situation. And a lot of times we're not asking that. We, we don't want that. We don't want to change ourselves. We want God to change his mind. We want God to change his, our circumstances. We want God to change everything around us, and we want everything to change but us. But what we need to realize is what God was sending to the Israelites was meant to bring about a change in them. What God was sending to Gideon was meant to bring about a change in him. We see that change later on as we get into the end of the chapter and we get in the beginning of chapter 7, we see a different Gideon, don't we? We see the Gideon we all love and want to celebrate. The Gideon who's blowing the trumpet. The Gideon who's leading the army. The Gideon who's willing to obey God and even get rid of thousands of people in his army and face Listen, I don't know about you, we can criticize Gideon all we want. He was willing to go to battle with 300 against thousands. And he didn't even know how God was going to bring deliverance. He didn't even understand what God was going to do. But you notice this promise right in the beginning of the chapter to Gideon. Gideon, I will deliver the Midianites into your hand and you will defeat them like one man. You'll defeat them like one individual, like one person. I'm going to bring you together as a body. So God tells Gideon that he's the one who's being sent to save Israel, verse 14, out of Midian's hand. He says this, am I not sending you? This provokes kind of the second disagreement here. Gideon objects. Look at verse number 15. He says, have I not sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewithal shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is what? Poor. God, I... You don't, I mean, you don't mean me, right? Because I'm poor. You know, my family, we're poor. We don't have a lot. I mean, I don't come from resources. I don't come from uh, nobility. I, I don't come from wise people. I, I don't come from noble people. I, uh, and how many of us can be reminded that not many wise are calling, not many noble are calling, that God has chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the things that are wise, that God has chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things that are mighty. What we are reminded of is that God uses any of us, I say any of us, if God uses me or God uses you, the one that gets the credit for that is God because we're poor people. We come from nothing. We don't have anything to offer God. What he thought is that he needed to be rich or that he needed to be noble or that he needed to be of some kind of royal blood. But he said, hey, listen, you don't know the family I come from. I mean, I mean my family, we're nobodies. Who am I that people would follow me? God, who am I that you'd use me? Remember, he was trying to raise up or ask God to raise up a Moses-like deliverer. Because Moses was so quick to follow God when God called him, right? 
I mean, Moses ran into the wilderness, became a shepherd, and then when God showed up at the burning bush, Moses said, who, me? Do you know who you're talking to? I mean, God didn't, had to introduce himself to Moses because Moses didn't even know he's talking to God. Moses, take off your shoes. This is God you're talking to. Oh, wait a minute, God. You don't know. I, I, you know, I don't have the gift of gab. I'm not really able to speak. I mean, I'm a stutterer. I mean, how in the world can I stand? You mean you were raised in Pharaoh's palace? I mean, you were raised in nobility and royalty, and now you can't speak? You can't say anything? Moses was finding all the excuses, and Gideon said, we need a Moses-like deliverer. And God said, yeah, if you knew who Moses was, you wouldn't be saying that. If you know how Moses balked at my calling in his life, Gideon, you're the same kind of person. You don't need to rest in your laurels. You don't need to rest in your might. You don't need to rest in your ability. You just need to have faith in my ability. You need to trust me. And how many of us need that message today? God's calling us to follow him, and we're saying, who, me? How can I? I don't have the time, I don't have the resources, I don't, I don't have this, I don't have that. It's not that none of us have been called, it's that we're not listening. It's we're not heeding, we're not obeying. God's calling, He wants us to follow Him. Boy, if there's ever a generation that lived before that needs God's people, the church of the living God, to rise up in faith and follow God, it's this generation. We need to see revival in the church. It's not going to come through, through crafty resources. It's not going to come through, through uh, money. and It's not going to come through all the, the ways that man tries to make in order to, uh, to bring about uh, some kind of move of God. We're not going to move God with our methods, but God wants to move us to take action, to trust in Him, to operate in the Spirit of God, in the power of God. Listen, what God could do with a man fully committed to following after Him, the world is yet to see. We need to understand that God wants to move among us, that God wants to work in us. And, and by the way, uh, the truth that we all need to realize is God is working in all of us. God is working in all of us. You say, well, I don't hear Him, and I don't see Him, and I don't feel Him. Well, thankfully, it's not your five senses that determine God's work. We've got this feeling-sensitive Christianity today that's all about feeling God and understanding, and it's all through our emotions, and it's all through our experiences. Listen, whether your experiences dictate them or not, or your emotions feel them or not, know this, God is at work. We don't need the hairs to stand up on the back of our necks. We, we don't need the chills. We don't need goosebumps. We just need to understand that God is at work and faithfully be obedient to His Word. And God can work through a people that are willing to believe in a time where nobody's believing. God can work through a people that are willing to follow in a time when others are not following. And God wants to work through us, His church. Gideon objects. I'm the least, not only am I the poor, from a poor family, but I'm the least in my family, God. <laughs> Verse 15, Behold, my family's poor in Manasseh. I, I am the least in my father's house. Boy, he didn't know anything about David, did he? Not yet. David hadn't come yet. But remember the least in the father's house who nobody got involved, he didn't even get invited to the anointing? Who invited him? God did. But his brothers didn't invite him. His father didn't invite him. He's the least in the house for the greatest king of Israel. We, we see God can use the least. God can use the less than the least. And so the angel has already very pointedly called Gideon a mighty warrior in verse 12. But why? Gideon is the kind of man who hides fearfully in a wine press to thresh his wheat. 
Some think here that God is mocking Gideon, crouching in that wine press is hardly the action of a fearless warrior. Others suggest that God is being deliberately modest. Who, me? No, I couldn't possibly. Or that he just hasn't realized how much potential he has. But I believe that all of these opinions fail to take seriously either God's power or his word. If God says that Gideon is a mighty warrior, then he is. Are you with me? If God says Gideon is a mighty warrior, then he is. He is is to use his own abilities. Look at verse number 14. Go in this thy might. He's to use his own abilities. But Gideon's potential, realized or not, is not alone sufficient. It needs to be combined with the knowledge of, verse 14 and 16, I'm sending you and I will be with you. Gideon is correct to suggest that he cannot save Israel in his own strength. God is correct him to tell him that he will save Israel using his own strength, combined with knowing that God has called him to this task and that he is with him. And this, and this is what we need to realize today as God's people. We need the same attitude in the areas of service to which God has called us. You say, what do you mean? Well, not sitting around and saying, God, you're going to do it. God, you're going to do it. Let me, just, let me just let us know today, church, God is going to use us in our might and power to evangelize this area. But God is not going to evangelize this area without us. Because he has chosen through his people to bring the gospel. Are you with me? Some people say, oh God, send the gospel. Oh God, save. But then they never open their mouths and go tell people about the Lord. And they're not witnesses for the Lord. Oh God, we have needs, but they never give. Oh God, we, we, we need help in this area, but they never serve. Listen, if you're praying and you're not acting, then you're not fully believing what God says you are. Because God is looking at all of us and saying, you have ability through me to accomplish my will in this world. But it's going to take our own might. Are you with me? I'm not saying that God is not the one who gets the glory and does it. But if you look, it takes somebody obeying God and doing something. Believing God and following his, his authority and his instructions. I mean, God could have called the, caused the walls of Jericho to fall down on their own. Couldn't he have? But what did God say? I want you to go. I want you to march. I want you to make ready. I want you to work. God can do things. That, listen, sometimes Christians, they sit home praying when they should be out working. They sit home praying when they should be out working. Listen, don't just ask God to give you a good marriage. Be a person that works towards a good marriage. Are you with me? Don't ask God to give you good children. Be a parent that raises your children for God. Don't ask God to meet your needs. Go out, get a job, and work. Are you with me? Are you with me? Sometimes that's what we're doing. God, do this. God, do that. God, I need this. God, I need that. But God wants us to use what we have, what he's given us, what he's put in our hands, to work in the way that he's called us to work. And so there's this kind of idea and attitude that sometimes creeps in, and we spiritualize even us just praying all the time and not acting. Listen, if you're praying and you're not obeying, then you're disobeying God even in your praying. There's steps that have to be taken. There's work that needs to be done. How many know the Christian life is not easy, and the Christian life requires hard work? Success comes in the Christian life through hard work. 
It doesn't come through us sitting around and waiting for something to happen to us. We have to get out and work, church. There's a work that God's called us to do, and we must work the works of Him that sent us while it is yet day, just like Jesus modeled for us. And then there's something that I think we should ask. This angel of the Lord, who is he? Who's this angel? This angel of the Lord. It's well worth pausing here to, to ask this question. Who is talking to Gideon? I mean, we meet the angel several times. Judges chapter 2, Judges 13, and here and throughout the Old Testament, Genesis 18, Exodus 3, 34, Joshua 5. This angel of the Lord shows up, and there's something different about him. He's not just some messenger. There's something different. In appearance, the angel of the Lord doesn't seem to have been all, all that overwhelming. As a matter of fact, when Gideon looks at him, he wonders whether he's an angel or not. He wonders what he is. He's just a man. He's plain looking. And he doesn't perceive at first that this is an angel of God. And it's not until the miracle in verse number 21 that Gideon is sure that what he, who he's talking to is divine. And so this is a very human appearing figure. But there's this remarkable mystery and tension in all the biblical descriptions of who the angel is. On one hand, we're told, the angel said in verses 12 and 20. But we're also told in verses 14, 16, and 18 that the Lord said. The Lord said. The Lord said. And perhaps the angel is a communication channel, a kind of divine uh, speakerphone from God, and he's speaking through this angel. But then we run into verse 14, and I want you to look at it. And the Lord looked upon him, and what? And said. Who looked on him? The angel of the Lord or the Lord? The reference here appears to point to the fact that this angel is more than just an angel. This angel is more than just a messenger. It's remarkable, and it's a little confusing, isn't it? And this figure is the angel of the Lord, and yet he's also the Lord. And what does this mean? Well, this is one of the mysteries of the Old Testament, which is impossible to understand without the New Testament. If there is one God, how can he be both in heaven and visibly in body on earth at the same time? And this is a simple way of God teaching us about the Trinity. A simple way of God foreshadowing the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ in a bodily human form. They need to understand that God could show up in human form. That God could show up as a man. That the Lord could show up in a way that they could tangibly understand and speak to. And there's only one explanation that makes sense. Is that we have an indication uh, 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 our God is nonetheless multi-personal. He's a trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And his concern, listen, there's good reason to see this figure as God the Son because his concern even then was to bring salvation and peace to his people. But then there's something that we see here in uh, the next passage or the next part, and that is to do with the two altars. The final evidence that the angel of the Lord is an uncreated divine person is Gideon's reaction to him. In verse 16, it's the Lord who answered, and Gideon replied by wanting a sign. He says, verse 17, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. I want to know that I'm talking to God. I want to know that God is talking to me. Listen, you say, why in the world would someone do that? Why would Gideon do Why would he wonder whether God is speaking to him? 
Because God never spoke to him like this before. He never had this encounter. Remember Samuel? When God spoke to him, he ran to Eli, he ran to Eli, and finally Eli, the priest, said, listen, if you hear that voice again, it's the Lord, and say, here am I, Lord, send me. God was trying to teach him that he was going to speak directly to him, and he wanted him to understand his purpose in his life. And he said, God, I want to know that this is you. And notice what he does in response to this. What does he want to do now that he realizes this is the Lord? He wants to bring a sacrifice to him, doesn't he? He wants to offer a sacrifice. Listen, angels don't receive sacrifices to themselves. Angels are, are not people that we worship. Uh, they're not beings that we worship. They're created. They have a purpose. Only the Lord can be worshipped. Only the Lord can be sacrificed, receive a sacrifice. And so the Lord is standing here, and he's saying, I'm bringing my offering. I want to bring my sacrifice. He brings it. Verses 18 through 20, they're burned up, and then all of a sudden he disappears. And what does he say in verse 22? And, the, and Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord. Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. What is he saying? I've seen God face to face, and I didn't die. And I didn't, because he knew. Nobody could see God face to face and live. But yet through this means, through this mode, God showing up in this human form, they could see God. Listen, isn't this what Jesus said in the New Testament? No man has seen God any, at any time. But what did he say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. You're looking at, Jesus said to the woman at the well, you're looking at the one that's talking to you is God. When he was there and he forgave the sins of the man born of four. Oh, nobody can forgive sins but God. Thou sayest well. Thy sins be forgiven thee. Take up thy bed and walk. What was he saying? Let this miracle show you that the one who's saying thy sins be forgiven you is God in the flesh. Can God come in the flesh? Yes, he can. Why is he doing this? He's preparing salvation to come through ultimately himself and he's pointing to himself as ultimately the deliverer, the only one worthy of worship and praise and sacrifice church. Listen, who is the name that we lift up today? It's the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he's Lord. God has given him a name that is above every name. He's lifted up the name of Jesus that all the people in the world should worship Jesus Christ. He's the name, only the name worthy of worship. Notice what he calls the place. Jehovah Salom. The Lord is my peace. This is where I met the Lord. This is where I got peace with God. He met Jesus. And when he met Jesus... He was changed. Can I say something to you why it's important that we understand that he didn't have some just spiritual dream. He didn't just have some kind of vision. He didn't just have some kind of ethereal uh, connection to some spirit being. He met Jesus and the day that he met Jesus, Gideon was changed. His name was changed. Who he was was changed. He got courage. He got strength. He got the Holy Spirit of God. He got filled and he became a different man the day that he met Jesus. I'll tell you, that's what we all need. Listen, you don't need just some kind of ethereal experience. 
Listen, angels protect me. I get all that. Listen, church, what we need today is Jesus. Who we need today is Jesus. Who we need to look to today is Jesus. Who we need to worship today is Jesus. Who we need to sacrifice to today is Jesus. And notice there's a problem. It's these two altars, right? Gideon knows who he's talking to. God reassures him in verse 23, you're not going to die. Gideon's response is of one of enormous gratitude. He knows that if he's seen God, he should have perished, having looked upon the face of a holy God. But he also knows that somehow God has provided grace so that he can be at peace with him. And so Gideon builds this altar to the Lord. He calls it the Lord is peace. He no longer thinks God has abandoned his people to oppression, but that he's with his people to give them peace as they worship him. And Gideon has built an altar to the true saving God. But now he must tear an altar down as he has built an altar up. Replacing one, replacing the altar to the false God to one dedicated to the Lord. And can I say this? This altar belonged to his father. Have any of you ever come to know Jesus Christ and as a result been put at odds with your own father, with your own family, with your mother, with your father? Because their worship is to another God, their worship is to another Lord, their worship is to another religion. And as a result... There's a tearing down of something, a breaking down of something. Somebody, so, sometimes people, they, they wonder when they meet Jesus why sometimes they have odds, at, they become at odds with their family. And some people have a hard time navigating that. But can I just help you today? If God has brought you in to his family, he may cause division in your earthly family. He may, he may cause some breaking of fellowship in your earthly family. But I'm going to tell you, if you follow him and you're faithful to him, God will let the gospel be shown to you. Maybe even your family salvation may come to your home. Sometimes Christians, they, get, they struggle with that, and so they, they start to make uh, compromises. Well, I've got to, you know, if, if, if I'm going to worship God here, you know, I also have to honor and respect. I'm not saying you be cruel or unkind to your family. I, I'm, I'm saying you, you're loving. You're, you're even more loving because you've got the love of Christ. You're even more gracious because you've got the grace of the Lord. You're even more kind because you have the fruit of the Spirit that's kindness. You're even more patient because you've got His patience and long-suffering. But you're not compromising your faith in God in order to fellowship with your family. Sometimes we look at our family. We think God has put us in a place where we have to make a choice. And the truth is, Gideon was put in a place where he had to destroy something that belonged to his father so that he could follow God. Sometimes our families stand in the way of us following God. And can I encourage you today? The best thing you can do is follow God, even if your family won't. Follow God, even if your family won't. Don't get discouraged in following God if your family won't. Sometimes they won't listen. Sometimes they may be antagonistic. Sometimes they may get angry. And sometimes God may tell you to do something that may cause problems in that relationship but know this, if God sent it into your life and God told you to do it and God is bringing you through this period of time in your life where you may be at odds with your family, know that God can bring you through that and bring blessing as a result of that. It's no surprise that Joash is an altar and a pole for the worshiping of Canaanite deities. 
well, clearly taught his children about the exodus from Egypt and the Lord who had rescued their forefathers. He had also chosen to serve Baal. The Israelites had not abandoned worship of gods for idols. But in fact, their lives revolved around agricultural idols if they were farmers, around commerce idols if they were in business, uh, or sex and beauty idols if they were involved in that kind of uh, 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 job. Uh, Michael Wilcock is worth quoting at some length here, but I want to just read this to you. He said, The gods have not changed, for human nature has not changed. And these are the gods that humanity regularly recreates for itself. What does it want? If it is modest, security and comfort, and reasonable enjoyment, if it is ambitious, power and wealth, and unbridled self-indulgence, in every age there are forces at work which promise to meet our desires, whether political programs, economic theories, career options, philosophies, lifestyle options, entertainment programs, all having one feature in common. They promise that they can make our lives better than we can make them ourselves. You, at the same time, they appear amendable to our manipulating them so we can get what we want without losing our independence. Here is the enemy among us. We say we worship the Lord, but the world has crept in and controls our heart. That's what happened in Gideon's family. Gideon learned from his father about the one true God, but Gideon saw in his father a worshiper of idols and idolater. So Gideon grew up that way. But here's the lesson that I believe that we can learn from them. Before they can throw off the enemies around them, the Midianites, they have to throw off the enemies among them, the false idols of Canaan. And this is the main way that we get revival in our lives. Before you can throw off the enemies around you, you have to throw off the enemies among you. A lot of us, we look at the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we say, these are our enemies. God, deliver me from the enemies that are around me. And God says, give up the enemies that are among you. You don't realize that you've invited the enemy in. The New Testament command that we have as Christians is what? Neither give place to the devil. In other words, as Christians, can we give the devil a place in our lives? Absolutely. There are times where we, we give him place because we want what we want. There are fleshly appetites that we want that are contrary to Scripture. And so we say, yeah, the Lord has a place in my life. Yeah, I'll still be in church on Sunday, and I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray and all these things. But you don't understand. I still want these things in my life. And so I'm going to give them a place in my life. And before long, the devil, what does he do? He steals, he kills, he destroys, he deceives, he devours Because the devil's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Let me ask you a question. What place does a ravening lion have in your home? What place does a ravening lion have in your home? What place does he have in the lives of your children? What place does he have in your marriage? What place does he have in your mind? You let a ravening lion, it doesn't matter how much you think you can tame him and control him, eventually he's going to eat you. He's going to destroy you. And that is what the devil does. The devil makes us think that he's just a pet that we can bring in, that we can allow, that we have control of. And when we give place to him, he takes over. And that's what happened with the Israelites. Before we can throw off the enemies around us, we have to throw off the enemies among us. The question today is, 
If you're struggling with enemies around you, is it because you have not thrown off enemies among you? Are there idols in your life, in your heart, in your mind? And if you want God to deliver you from your enemies that are around you, you've got to come and surrender the enemies that are within you, the ones that you've allowed in your life. Listen, the God of this world, the prince of the power that is in this air. Listen, young people, uh, God is, uh, the, the devil, the prince of the power of this air is selling it to you through the world's music and entertainment. Listen, I, I understand that everybody has liberty as according to their conscience, but I, I have a lack of understanding for parents who allow their children to listen to people who propagate sexual relationships outside of marriage through music and who model that in their lifestyle and think that your children can listen to that kind of music and that as a result, they're going to want to worship God. If it's worshiping a lifestyle that is against and contrary to God, then I'm telling you, it's not God's songs. They need to be put off. They need to be cast off. There's a reason why. Because you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit. And God doesn't accept mixed worship. You can sing the songs of the world all week and come and try to sing songs to Jesus, but I'm going to tell you, you will quickly lose your taste for songs to Jesus as you give in to songs of the world. And this world glorifies all kinds of wickedness through its entertainment. And listen, we were warned by many a preacher before us against this kind of stuff, and we need to be careful what we do with our liberty. Because sometimes we put as stumbling blocks before one another. And sometimes we're stumbling block to ourselves, and we think we can handle it. But how much of the devil do you want to handle? How much of his ideas do you want to think about? Listen, there's things that we should think about. What sort of things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and are a good report? And I have a hard time listening to what the world's putting out and thinking those things. Because all of these things are expressions of communication. There are forms of worship, and we need to be careful what we're letting in our mind because it's, it's influencing us. We need to be careful what we're looking at. Are you with me? We need to be careful what we're looking at. Before long, you, you look at things long enough, and you get a taste for those things, desire those things, want to act on those things. As I read Romans chapter number 1, the Bible tells us that we shouldn't even have pleasure in those that do the things that are listed there. In other words, we shouldn't derive entertainment from it. We shouldn't take joy in it. Listen, fools make a mock at sin. That's what the Bible says. But in our lives, what are we supposed to do? Be sanctified, set apart. What? Useful to the Lord in righteousness. Listen, a holy life, a moral life. Listen, there's some things that got to be taken out of our lives. There's some things that should be removed. And that's what God says to Gideon. Listen, you've met with me, and now what was the obvious response? You've got to take away the idols that are in your heart. You've got to get rid of idols that are among you, that are in your life. There are some things that we have to put off in order for us to put on righteousness. That's what God tells us. Take off the garments of this world. Put on the garments of righteousness. Gideon is, is being told by the Lord that he wants to bring renewal to his life. But let me just say this. God will not help us out of our obvious visible problems, money problems, relationship problems, until we see the idols that we are worshiping right beside the Lord. They have to be removed first. Notice God was not okay with Gideon just building an altar next to his dad's altar. Joash may have been okay with it, 
The people in the city might have been okay with it. I don't think the people in the city would have been that upset if Gideon would have just built another altar in the grove. But notice God's declaration. Gideon, I don't want another altar in the grove. I want you to tear down the altar and the grove because it's all being used to worship Baal. I want it all torn down before you build anything up to me because I want to be the only one that you worship, not just one that you worship. And here's the question for us when it comes to lordship, believers. Is Jesus the only one that you worship or is he just one of many that you worship? Is he the only one that you obey or is he just a voice that you obey? You know, I got a lot of voices in my life and there's voices all, you know, and whichever one tells me what I want to hear, that's the one I listen to. Listen, I hear that all the time. People will come and say, Pastor, I had to make a decision and I'd like some advice and I understand that the only advice that I could give is advice that comes from Scripture. But a lot of times people come and they don't really want advice. They just want affirmation for the decision that they've already made. They've already decided to be disobedient to the word of God. And they're just saying, can you also affirm that to me? I want to do this. And here's the things that we often hear. I have peace about it. Listen, if you have peace about disobeying God, it's not the peace of God that you have. You may have peace about it because you stopped fighting with the Holy Spirit. You may have peace about it because you've quenched the Holy Spirit. You may have peace about it because you seared your conscience. You may have peace about it because you quieted the voice of God in your life. But the peace of God only comes through obedience to God and His Word. A lot of times we say, well, I have peace about you know, doing this and we say something that's contrary to the Word of God. God will not help us out of our obvious visible problems until we see the idols that we are worshiping right beside the Lord. Gideon is essentially being told here to make God the Lord of every area of his life. Church, we are not to add anything to Jesus Christ as a requirement for being happy. Listen, if you want joy today, all you need is Jesus. Are you with me? If you want joy today, all you, you say, yeah, but I also need a car and I need a job and I need this and I need... No, if you want joy today, true joy, all you need is Jesus. You don't need to add anything to it. You don't need Jesus plus anything. You just need Jesus. Jesus is the supreme giver of joy. And a lot of times Christians, they'll come, well, God, I also need this and I also need that. And, you know, if I had this, then I'd be more happy. And I had that, I'd be more... Listen, find your joy in Jesus. He's the only one that gives lasting and true joy and satisfying joy. If you're looking for Jesus, the joy of Jesus through your spouse, you're looking the wrong place. If you're looking through your kids, you're looking the wrong place. Listen, oh, I want to have joy because, listen, you're not going to have peace always in your home. You're not going to have peace always in your marriage. You're not going to have peace always with other people. But you can have peace with God all the time. All the time. True peace. Gideon begins to ally his strength with the Lord's presence. And he did, as the Lord told him, verse 27. Albeit at night, he did it. Are you with me? He did it. He did it at night. Some of us would say, well, Gideon's a coward. But he did it, didn't he? He did it. God didn't say do it during the day. He just told him to do it. Gideon, Gideon just said, well, if this is me that's happened to do it, you know, I'm going to do it at night because that's how I do it. He was a little afraid of his father. He was a little afraid of the men in the town. Listen, but he knew that they were going to see it in the morning. They may not have caught him in the act. They might have been able to stop him. Maybe this is the best way to do it. I don't know. God wants to use our, our wisdom when we do things that he tells us to do. 
And in this case, I believe that what Gideon did was wise. Gideon chose a time where it would maybe take a little bit of the sting out of what he was doing, but he was still going to do what God said. Listen, obey God whether you do it at night or do it in the morning, obey Him. Are you with me? If God tells you to do something, just obey Him. Just do what He says. The reaction is swift. It looks as though Gideon's end will be swift. Verses 28 through 30, the men in the town, they come out. What are they going to do? They're going to take Gideon. What are they going to do to him? They're going to kill him. Can you see where Israel is right now? We're going to kill Gideon because he took down the altar of Baal. Where were all the ones that took down the altars to God? They're the ones that should have been hung. They're the ones that should have been stoned when they replaced their worship to God with worship to Baal. But Joash stands up for his son. Notice Gideon's obedience to God brings revival to his father's heart. What does Joash do? He stands up. He says, Baal, if he's a divine being, let him look after himself. He gives him a nickname. Let Baal contend with him. Jerubal, verse 32. The villagers inadvertently point to the central struggle which continually repeats itself in Israel. The choice between following God's chosen deliverer and leader and false gods of the surrounding nations. And the Lord will contend with Baal for the hearts of the people. How many are glad today that God will contend with the gods of this world for your heart? He will. You give your heart to other gods, He's going to make contention. He's going to bring confrontation. He's, he's going to fight for your heart. Listen, what good would a father be if his heart, if his child's heart was given to something that shouldn't and, and that father wouldn't fight for his own children's hearts? What good would a husband or a wife be if their, hearts, their spouse's heart was given to something else and they wouldn't fight for their own spouse's heart? This is what God's saying. Hey, listen, I'm going to fight for you. I, I'm going to fight for you because I love you. Because I want to deliver you. You're choosing destructive paths, but I will stand in the way. I will contend with Baal. And the Lord's Spirit-filled judge in Gideon contends with the idol worshiper in verses 33 to 35. The last thing I want to look at are the famous fleeces. And this could be a message in itself, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to at least address it as it's in the text, because I believe this is an area where a lot of Christians go to justify behavior that is unbiblical. These famous fleeces, Gideon's unsure of God's calling and promises, brings us to the last segment we talked about, Gideon's conversation with God. And in verse number 36, he's unsure what God is telling him. So he sets out a fleece and he asks God to confirm his plans by making it on dewy ground, verse 37. Then he asks God to reconfirm by reversing the request in verses 39 through 40. And many people criticize Gideon for this action. But what I would say to you is if this is so wrong and sinful, why did God answer him? Others have imitated Gideon in this action. They say, Lord, if you want me to take this job, let me get a phone call from them today. God, if you want, it, if you want this to happen in my life, let me see this sign today. We imitate and we say, God, if you want this to take place, then let this happen. Show me this way. I want you to show me what you're doing in the way that makes sense to me. But we must be careful. 
When Satan asked Jesus to test God by asking for a sign, what did Jesus do in Matthew chapter number 4? He rebuked him. He said, foolish generations look for signs. Why did he do that? How did Jesus answer the devil? With the word of God. With the scriptures. Gideon was very specifically asking God to show him that he was not one of the forces of nature like the other gods, but he was sovereign over the forces of nature. Gideon was not looking for some little sign to help him make a decision. He was seeking to understand the nature of God. We have to remember that he didn't have the Bible. Are you with me? And he didn't have the many means of grace that we have now. The, the Word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, Christian fellowship, the things that God has given to us. What was Gideon doing? He was very specifically addressing the places where his faith was weak and uninformed. He needed to know God's nature because he had no other means of understanding who God was. Let me just say this. We have a means of understanding the nature of God today, and it's His Word. Through the Word of God, which is, by the way, can I just say this, a miraculous and divine revelation. If you're looking for a miracle, look no further than your lap today, because this is a miracle. That God would give His Word to us completely, entirely, and perfectly. Preserve it for us today so that we might have it, in our own language nonetheless, and give us His Spirit so that we could understand it. Who are we to say, God, give me another sign? Are you with me? God gave us a sign. It's right here. Read it. Listen, I, I, would, I would submit to you that many a lazy Christian want God to give another sign when God's already given the sign. You don't need a sign to obey God. You've already got the sign to obey God. If God says something in His Word, you don't need to put out a fleece. Just do what it says. Do you believe God's Word is perfect? Do you believe it's complete and entire? Do you believe it's the only authority for faith and practice in the Christian's life? If you do, then we need to live that way. We don't need to look for another sign. We've received the sign from heaven. It is the perfect, complete Word of God. We cannot use Gideon's actions as justification to ask for little signs and signals. Gideon was not doing so. He was asking for supernatural revelation from God to show him who he really is. And so this, therefore, is not about how to make a decision. This is about how we need to ask God to give us a big picture of who He is. Living in the period of history that we do, we have the advantage over getting of knowing Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as He reveals Himself in His Word. Let me prove it to you. Go to Hebrews chapter 1 quickly. We're done. We're wrapping up. Hebrews chapter 1. What does the Bible tell us? In times past... By the way, including the times of Gideon, God spoke what? How? Through the prophets. And how did he do it? In various ways. But in these last days, how does he speak to us? Through his son. Let me ask you, how does his son speak to us? Through his word. Listen, you don't need a cloud to form in a certain way. You don't need a dream to come to you. You don't need some vision. You don't need some fleece. You just need this. This is all we need. 
These are the words of God. They are lamp to our feet, light to our path. A lot of times we're looking for to lesser indications of feelings and affirmations of our own actions and desires rather than looking to the perfect, complete, entire revelation of God's Word to teach us what He wants for us and direction He wants for us in our lives. Gideon's request was for help to build up his faith. And God in His grace responds two times. When we make the same requests, God graciously responds. Let me ask you this. When you need help, where does God point you? To His Word. To His Word. By the way, that's where the Holy Spirit teaches us. It's where the Holy Spirit points us. He doesn't point us to other things. He points us to His Word. Listen, when you need direction, go to the Word of God. When you need peace, go to the Word of God. When you need joy, go to the Word of God. When you need to work out what God is doing in your life and the direction He's taking you in your life, go to the Word of God. It's in God's Word we find God's truth. And God sanctifies us through His truth, doesn't He? His Word is truth. The Lord Jesus is the full revelation of the character and the purposes of God. And when we, like Gideon, find ourselves doubting God's promises or God's presence, we can ask Him to point us again to His Son, saying, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, help Thou my unbelief. This is what Gideon needed and received. And God will do the same for us when we ask God to increase our faith through His Word. Listen, I hope today that God used His Word to increase your faith. That's the whole point, isn't it? We gather together to hear the Word, to be reminded of God's truth so that our faith can be increased, so that we can face whatever decisions we have this week with the complete entire direction of the Word of God. We don't need anything else. We don't need any other direction. Listen, this is our compass. This is our guide. This is, this is the direction that we need. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But listen, if you're not reading this, you're going to find yourself lost as a Christian. If you're not daily in the Word, you're going to find yourself lost as a Christian. You know why uh, Sunday I go to church with my family? Because that's what this Word says to do. So you know what that takes away? Feelings. I don't ever have to go, do I feel like it? Don't feel like it? Want to? Don't want to? Does God want me today or not want me today? No, no, I know because His Word says. He just takes all that out of the picture, right? Because that's how we are. We're like, God, do you really want me to? And He shows us that He wants us to. We read His Word, it tells us to. And then we go, well, God, are you sure? You know, God, show me some other sign. God, show me some other way. And God says, just read my Word and do what it says. You know, I know God wants me to be faithful to teach my children the Word of God and raise them for the Lord. I don't have to do that according to my feelings. It's because the Word of God tells me to. It directs me to. You know why I don't look at certain things or listen to certain things or involve myself? Because God's Word tells me not to. I don't, I don't have to worry about how I feel about it or don't feel about it. If God's Word expressly says it, I need to do what it says in your relationships, in your life, in, in your family, in your jobs. You don't have to wonder, should I be honest or not? God's Word tells you to be honest. Should I, should, should I do the right thing or not? God's Word tells you to do the right thing. Listen, what we need to do is say, God, give me the courage to obey your Word. 
God, give me the strength. You know ultimately what Gideon needed anyway? Gideon knew what God wanted him to do. He didn't need the fleece to tell him. He needed the courage to know who was talking to him. And that's what he said. God, I need to know that you're talking to me and it's not one of these other gods in nature. It's not the rain and it's not the snow and it's not the clouds and it's not the trees and it's not the way I feel outside. And it's not all those things that are directing my past. Listen, the, the person who's not wise is like a, a chaff which the wind drives away. You know what that means? A person who's not rooted in the word of God, they get blown everywhere with the wind. They're here one time, they're, oh, I'm just, this is the way I feel today, and this is the way I feel tomorrow, and this is the way I feel, and they're just back and forth and back. Listen, who is the Christian supposed to be like? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth his fruit in his season. And listen, if you want to be a faithful tree planted, you want to, listen, bring forth the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Hey, listen, just plant yourself in the word of God and do what it says. You can trust it. You can obey it. You don't need another sign. It's right here. we got all kinds of gods and religions all around us. And what do they talk about? Your feelings, your feelings, your feelings, your feelings, your desires, and this and that. And Listen, fool you all my feelings. My feelings have hurt me so many times. Are you with me? My feelings have led me to the wrong direction. The heart of man is desperately wicked above all things, and who can know it? Why am I going to trust in what I want to do? There's times where I know that what I want to do is wrong because God's Word confronts me with it. You ever feel like doing something wrong? Or am I the only one today? Come on, are you with me? Somebody says something to you, and you, you know, you're witty like me, and you can come up with a comeback really quick, and you just, you're just ready to... I could tear somebody up. Boy, I got like quick. It just comes so quick in my mind. I could just say something right back, just tear them apart. I know how to do it. You know why I don't? Well, when I don't, because I remember this. Because God's word tells me not to. Listen, I don't have to go off my feelings. You get that urge to do something you should, that sins that beset you or whatever it is that your lust drives you to. What keeps you from that? Is it going to be, well, you know, if that feeling, God, please take the feeling away. The feeling's not going away. You're going to have the feeling. What do you need to do? You need to obey his word despite your feeling. Make him the Lord of your feelings. Make him the controller of your life. That's what God wants from us, his people. And all the gods that are in this world, listen, there's a God that's being served today. It's a God of feelings. It's a God of me. It's a God of self. It's a God of my emotions. We live in a day where people are so offended so easily by every little thing. You know what God's word does? Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. What does God's word do? It just it takes away all that stuff. I'm not living like uh, with a chip on my shoulder. I'm not living by my feelings. I'm living by my faith in the word of God. That's what we need. That's going to make husbands, that's going to make you a good husband. It's going to make you a good father. Wives is going to make you a good wife, a, a good mother. Listen, it's going to make us what God wants us to be when we just trust Him. Sometimes we're more focused on our questions for God than we are on what God wants to do in our lives through our circumstances. And may our prayer be today, God, you may not take me out of my circumstances, but God, make me somebody that can face my circumstances with faith and courage in a way that shows this world that Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, 
you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.